Please join me in a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds. Please think through them. Take our will and set them on fire in love for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. Some of the best things in life are some of the simple things. Uh, for instance, a hot cup of coffee on a quiet morning. A good thing and a simple thing. We are in a sermon series entitled Simple Gifts, and we are looking at some of those good things that we encounter every day, but we may not take time to reflect upon. This Sunday, we're going to think about creation. Uh, creation as a simple gift is a little bit misleading because, as you know, creation is anything but simple, and we're going to discover that in the psalm. There's nothing simple about creation. However, creation is one of those things that can uh, be taken for granted. After all, we encounter creation Every day, every day you walk outside and you see grass under your feet and a sky above you. And we don't take time to do what the psalmist does. I think it will be helpful for you to, to have the psalm in front of you. In your pew Bibles, I believe it's on page 587. Uh, if you bring your own Bible, you get extra credit. It's great to be able to mark in your Bible uh, for notes that uh, strike you. So please either turn in your own Bible or the pew Bible to 587. Because what the psalmist does is something we don't often do. In verse 34, he describes his psalm and he says, May my meditation be pleasing to you. What does he do? He meditates. He meditates on God's creation. And he meditates on two basic things. He meditates first on what God has done, his past acts, and then he meditates on God's present work, what he is currently doing. And it's under those two headings that will guide our thoughts this morning. We'll join with the psalmist as he meditates about what God did in the past. And we will join with the psalmist as he meditates on what God is presently doing. So, let's jump right in. Look with me at Psalm 104, and let's look for that first past tense verb. Verse 5. He set the foundations, the foundations of the earth, so that it should never be moved. You covered the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. What fled? The waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. Now, uh, the discerning listener can hear echoes of Genesis. Uh, Genesis, that poetic narrative of the creation. You can hear echoes of that in this psalm, can't you? And in Genesis 1, recall that God spoke and the waters above were separated from the waters below. And here the same thing is restated. Uh, at your rebuke, the waters fled. And for both the author of Genesis as well as the author of this psalm, he is drawing our, our attention to the incomparable power of God. For the ancient mind, the, the waters were a source of unknown and, and fear. You can easily understand how you know, the raging seas would be just a source of, uh, of great concern. But here you see the waters are completely submissive to God. Just a word, a simple rebuke. This point is made more explicitly in Psalm 8, verse 3. Listen to it. You need not turn there. When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers. Now just think about that. When I look at the heavens, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, which are the work of your back. Nope. 
With the work of your arm? Nope. The work of even, no, the work of your fingers. It's the God that even break a sweat. As the psalmist begins, he points to the incomparable power of God who at his word, at his rebuke, the most frightening things simply flee. His incomparable power. Next, let's look for the next past tense verb in Psalm 104. The mountains rose, the valleys sank. You set a boundary that they, the waters, may not pass. So that's God's past act of creation. Now think back to your high school geology. Do you remember how God set boundaries for the waters? Let me remind you. It is incredibly wise what God did. Our Earth, unlike any other planet that we are aware of, in our solar system or outside our solar system, has a glowing hot core about the size of the moon. It, glow, it burns about the temperature of the sun, 5,000 to 6,000 degrees, very hot. Around that glowing hot inner core, there is a, uh, that glowing hot inner core has caused the outer core to be liquefied, lava, and that liquid outer core allows for some fluidity on the outer crust, right? So the fancy word is our tectonic plates. Remember that from high school, right? So our tectonic plates are moving, not rapidly, thankfully. They're moving at the rate at which your fingernails grow. So we are getting further and further away from Europe. And as these tectonic plates collide, land is built up, hills form, eventually mountains form, and boundaries are set for the dry land. And as these tectonic plates shift away from one another, land falls away, valleys are formed, oceans are formed, and a boundary is set for the water. You know, if our earth did not have a hot inner core, a liquid outer core, and a fluid crust, our earth would be covered with about six feet of water, pole to pole. There'd be life, it just would not be the type of life that you and I are used to. But God set boundaries. He set boundaries for the water. And the process by which he set those boundaries is a testimony to his foresight, a testimony to his knowledge, a testimony to his attention to detail. It is a testimony to his wisdom. Next, jumping forward to the next verb in the past tense. Verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you make them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the seed, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable. Science has identified about one million creatures in the sea. One million. Of those, there are about 3,000 species of ocean sponge. 3,000. For most of us, one ocean sponge would be sufficient. For God, 3,440 species of shark. And of this million uh, species that we have identified, science estimates that is only one-third of the total. In other words, there are three million species of creatures in the ocean, of which we have identified one million, three thousand sponges and 440 sharks. How manifold are your works? 
his limitless creativity. Finally, the last verb, past tense verb, referencing his past creation. There goes verse 26. There goes the Leviathan, which you made, past tense, for the mere sport of it. Your translation has you made to play in it. Now, no one knows what the Leviathan is, but it sounds frightening and it sounds big. And why did God make it? For the fun. For the mere sport. Just think of how much of God's creation exists, not only exists, but to observe is to have, is to delight. Lightning bugs. A peacock. A rhinoceros. A tyrannosaurus rex. Uh, uh, those sandstone arches out in Utah, uh, narwhals, northern lights, all these things, their existence is a delight to observe. And why? Because God delights in his creation. He makes it for the sheer sport of it. God's past creative work testify to his incomparable power. At a word, the waters fled. His past creative works testify to his sublime wisdom, his setting of the boundaries for the waters, one example of millions of God's foresight and his attention to detail. His limitless creativity, 3,000 ocean sponges, and his sheer joy. Incomparable power, sublime wisdom, limitless creativity, boundless joy, or to some, his, or in some, his work of creation in the past is, to, is a testimony to what the psalmist says in verse 1. Turn there, please. Oh God, you are very great. And your creation testifies to your greatness. And I simply, I just want to pause for a moment and think about the greatness of God who made the heavens with the work of his finger. You know, God has many biblical titles. Jesus is referred to as our friend, and God has revealed himself as a friend. Last week we heard from a beautiful offertory from Matt Landemeyer on what a friend we have in Jesus. Please say uh, your farewells to the Landemeyers, both Matt and Megan will head to Bogota soon uh, after Megan serving so faithfully in the children's ministry. This will be our la their last week with us for a while. Jesus is a friend. God is a friend. And all there are many familiar titles within the Bible. But before God can be our intimate friend, I think he must first be our, our great and awesome creator. Let me draw an analogy from parenthood. As I think about my own relationship with my children, I want to be their friends. I want to be their confidant. I want to be close to them. I want to be familiar with them, absolutely. But I think I can only be those things to them if I am first recognized as dad and a position 
of authority which deserves respect. As I think about my own relationship with my father, I was not his friend in childhood. <laughs> uh, Dad was scary. We became friends in adulthood, but I think for an apparent-child relationship, the path to friendship and familiarity starts with respect and deference because they're dad. And I think the same is true for God. I think our friendship, our intimacy, familiarity with God is not a starting point. I mean, who do you have a familiar relationship with who creates the stars with the work of his fingers? So let's join with the psalmist and observe the works of his hands and acknowledge that he is great, his power incomparable, his wisdom sublime, his creativity without limits. Oh God, oh God, you are great. Now, the present tense. We've thought about what God did in the past. Now let's think what God is currently doing. His past works testify to his greatness. His present works testify to his goodness. Follow with me. Uh, verse 10. You make the springs gush forth, and they give drink to every beast of the field. Think of Pavlov's hierarchy of needs. Remember that? So you have different things that every living creature needs. First, God provides water. Verse 14, you cause grass to grow for livestock, plants for man to cultivate for food and wine. Water, next food, wine. Verses 16 through 18, the trees of the Lord are watered. In them, birds build their nests, their storks their home. Verse 18, the high mountains for the goats, the rocks for their badgers. Every habitation has an inhabitant and every inhabitant has a habitation. The rocks for the badgers, the badgers for the rocks, the goats for the mountains and the mountains for the goats. He provides shelter. Verse 19 through 23, you made, past tense, the moon and the sun, and you make darkness, you make night, you make brightness, you make day. You sustain the regular rhythms of day and night. Finally, verse 27 through 30, all look to you, all are sustained by you. Specifically, verse 29, you hide your face and all creatures are dismayed. You take away breath and they die. Conversely, God provides breath. So in sum, what does God provide? He provides water, food, wine, shelter, regular rhythms of day and night. He provides breath. His present work in creation is a testimony to his goodness. He cares for and he sustains the things that he has created. Let's think for a moment about God's goodness as revealed in creation. You know, there's, I think there's only two places where God's creative work is referenced in the New Testament. The first sounds similar to our first point that we made, that God's creation reveals his greatness. You may be familiar, familiar with Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 
Romans chapter 1, verse 20, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world through what he has made. In other, in other words, look at creation and you can discern that God is great. However, there's another reference to God's creative power. Listen to 1 Peter 4.19. First uh, Peter chapter four is First uh, Peter chapter four nineteen says uh, the context is the author is writing to Christians in the midst of a suffering. So verse twelve, the author says, "Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Don't be surprised when life doesn't go the way you think it should." And then verse nineteen, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Makes sense? When life is not going the way you think it should, look at the sun which rises. Look at the grass which grows, the rain which falls. God cares for his creation and you can trust in him. Let's think about this critically. Does creation always work in this idyllic pattern that we find here? No. Sometimes the rain does not fall. Sometimes there is drought, and drought is followed by famine. Sometimes, like last Tuesday, rain falls too much. But I think here's the point for most of us, for, for the vast majority of humanity, the weather last Tuesday was simply unremarkable. The sun rose, the sun set, the rain fell, and the grass grew. And the unnoticed working of God is testimony to his goodness. Some of you may be going through a figurative drought, dryness, figurative famine, some of you may be going through what seems like an endless night. Take comfort in God's sustaining care. Every morning, the sun's going to rise, rain's going to fall. He cares for what he has created, and you can trust in him because he is good. This is stated so beautifully in the offertory that we're about to hear written by Bach. God takes care of every life which draws breath here below. Worries be gone. His faithfulness is my one and only consideration. Let me draw our thoughts to a conclusion. First, God's creative work in the past is a testimony to his greatness. Maybe this summer you're going to go on a vacation. You're going to go somewhere where you haven't been before. Maybe you'll see the ocean you'll see evidence of his incomparable power. The waters fled when he spoke. Maybe you'll head to the mountains and you'll see evidence of his sublime wisdom, the mountains which have built up over the years. If you do, do something that you and I don't do very well. Do what the psalmist does and meditate. Meditate for just a moment on what you see and ask what does what I see tell me about what I cannot see? 
What does the creation tell me about my creator? For some of us, tomorrow won't be vacation. It'll simply bring another day at the office. And that's okay. Tomorrow, the sun's going to rise. Rain's going to fall. Grass is going to grow. There's going to be air for you to breathe. Notice the unnoticed rising of the sun. Notice the unnoticed falling of the rain. Notice the unnoticed growing of the grass. As a reminder that God is good. He cares for the grass of the field. He cares for you. You can trust him. God's past work of creation testify to his greatness. Praise him in his greatness. God's present work in creation testify to his goodness. He cares for what he has created. Trust him in his goodness. Let's take just a moment to praise God in his greatness. Trust God in his goodness. Just a moment of silence. God, help us to notice what we so often do not notice. Help us to notice the greatness of your creation as a testimony to your greatness. Help us to notice your goodness to creation as a testimony to your goodness. Help us to praise you. Help us to trust you. Amen.